All right, Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Verse 1 starts with the word therefore, and as we've said many times, when it ever says therefore, you've got to find out what it's there for. Paul uses that word when connecting something very important in the previous, something he said previously, to what he's saying now. And so often, you know, we get kind of looking at, like, the, the chapters, when they're, like, so you go to chapter 4, that it's talking about a new thought. Sometimes it's not. It's continuous. Some guy back in, I can't remember what the date was, they put these things in there so that people could help memorize and reference and go to it. And so when you're reading the Bible, don't, you know, kind of ignore the verses, ignore the numbers, ignore the, the little black things at the top that say no confidence in the flesh or exhortations or ignore that stuff. That's people putting that stuff in there. It might help you out initially, but that might not be exactly what the text is talking about. That's man. Look at the scripture. So he's, he's continuing a thought. And so if you go back to verse 20 in chapter 3, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for my joy, my crown. Stand firm in the Lord. Makes a big difference, you know, because God is going to resurrect and transform our bodies to be like his, his awesome power. It's all going to end up great. The pain and the struggle you're going through, it's, it's going to work out. God is in control. It might not seem like it, but he reigns on the throne, and one day he will speak, and you will be transformed. It'll be done. Therefore, stand. I love that. You might be going through a very rough time right now, but hold on. Jesus will transform that body of yours into one like his. That is going to be cool. No more surgery, no more sickness, no more you know, uh, impairments. You're going to be free. Total upgrade. Never need to be upgraded again. It's going to be awesome. So, again, whenever a, a, a chapter starts with therefore, find out what it's there for. And so notice in verse 1 that Paul isn't just telling them to stand firm like a drill instructor. Stand firm, soldier. How does he appeal to them? He's addressing them from a position of like family and love. I love that about Paul. He calls them brothers and sisters. They're on the same level. He's not going over their heads. You know, sometimes Paul does have to do that, right? And pull out the authoritative card, but he's always trying to appeal to them as, on, as brothers and sisters. My fellow servants, just like you. Hey, my brothers and sisters, listen up. On the same level, family. He flat out tells them that he loves them and that he misses them. That's just awesome. I love you guys, and I miss you. And he reminds them of how much joy they bring to him and how much value they have in his life and in his ministry. 
how intertwined he reminds them of the relationship. That there is crown. And finally, he tells them to stand firm in the Lord. And I think we can learn a lot from how Paul addresses them. Uh, when we're trying to encourage people to stand firm in the Lord, when we're trying to correct people, when we're trying to direct people towards Jesus being used, many people are going through difficult circumstances. And quite often, you know, the Lord's already working in the heart, knowing that things are, are going on that are wrong. You don't need to beat them over the head with it. You need to plead to them as a brother or sister. What does the scripture say? You who are spiritual, if you see a brother or sister is caught in sin, restore them harshly. Restore them gently. Deal with people the way that you want to be dealt with. That's not an excuse to ignore. I want to be ignored. <laughs> my sin. My no. Scriptures say we have to go to one another. We have to deal with these things. That's what the Lord deals with us. But how do we do it? In the spirit of love. I believe there is a time when people need to be, uh, you know, reminded of the seriousness of things. And I think Paul did that in Corinthians when he's dealing with the horrible situations. He says, hey, listen up here. But quite often, if we can appeal to each other as brothers and sisters, winning the heart, winning the heart, I think it goes a lot further than just putting the law on them. Amen? So think about that. I mean, think about it when we're raising our kids. We want to win the hearts, not just behavior modification. Although that is fun. I like that. You know, don't get me wrong. Behavior modification makes my life a whole lot easier. But I want to win the heart so that when they're released into adulthood, in society, when our, our, our authority is, is done, in, in certain ways, that it's a character within them. That's, that's difficult, especially with some of us who have grown up under interesting models. Let's just leave it there. You are spiritual. Restore the one caught in sin gently. And so just before Paul begins to touch on a very sensitive subject, he reminds the church of what they mean to him cares about him. He loves him. There's joy in his crown. And now Paul in verse 2, he goes, I plead with you, Judea, and I plead with you, Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Apparently there were two women in the church who were not getting along. And Paul takes time to address these two ladies in his letter, and he gives them the cure for all disagreements. Want to know the cure for all disagreements? I know it seems lofty, but here it is. To be of the same mind in the Lord. That's the, that's the key to peacemaking. That is the key to unity. That is the key to getting along. That is the key to resolving disagreements within the body of Christ. Within the body of Christ. Quite often, we're trying to win an argument, aren't we? Because I'm right, you know that. I, I want you to be united with me, not with Christ. That's my primary fleshly 
default. Anyone ever experienced that? I know a couple of you have. But this is the essence of biblical counseling. This is the essence of biblical counseling, everybody. To seek the mind of Christ in the matter. That's what it's about. When two people walk in to my office and there, there's a disagreement or whatever's going on, uh, I'm trying to seek, are they going to be, are, are they here to get a right or a wrong or are they truly here to seek God? Are they willing to let this speak? That's a really difficult circumstance. Because how many of you would love to take your spouse to counselor so the counselor can tell them what you already told them? And then when you get to counseling, what happens? A good counselor will say, yeah, well, here's the plank in your own eye. Boy, isn't that fun. No, that's not what we're here. I'm paying good money for you to tell them to get right, you know, or whatever it is, right? I love that. Quite often people try to get their spouse to do these things and to reinforce their own position. While that person may be right, they're not going to reach the heart. And that's what we want. That's what the Lord wants. That's what you want in your relationships with someone else is the heart. Not just behavior modification, right? The behavior flows from the heart. It's an expression of what's going on in your heart. And so Paul, wisely, he doesn't take sides in this. Isn't that pretty cool? He doesn't take sides. He encourages these two women to be of the same mind in the Lord. And again, that's how you resolve the conflict, to seek the Lord. And it seems that this dispute has the need of a third person. And so Paul, in verse 3, says, Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. It doesn't say who the true companion was, but this person was to help these ladies seek the mind of the Lord. And quite often when we're in disagreements with one another, we can't see correctly. We don't have the mind of the Lord. And we need someone who actually has the mind of the Lord, who, who knows Scripture, who is living by the Spirit, who is living out these principles to be a part of this, who isn't going to be biased in the situation, who's going to tell everybody what it says. We get, he's not a respecter of persons. He's a respecter of the Lord. She's a respecter of the Lord. To come into that situation where two people who genuinely love the Lord are just not seeing eye to eye. And that person comes in and says, now listen, this is what the Scripture says here, this is what the Scripture says here, and they're able to discern what's going on, and the point isn't to go, yeah, you're just wrong. It's what does the Lord say? What does He say here? How can we conform it into it? How can our minds and hearts change to be more like Jesus in this situation? That sounds like death in a counseling situation, isn't it? That sounds like death. That's exactly what needs to happen. We go to the cross. We die that he might live in us. What I want to come about is not necessarily always what the Lord wants to come about. And so we need to be open to the counsel of godly people in our lives, pointing us towards Jesus and the cross.
these ladies were probably really great people in the church. I think if you were to see them, you'd go, wow, these are awesome women. Rock, foundational type women in the church. It says about them that they have contended at my side in the cause for the gospel, and whose names are written in the book of life. So they were actively involved in reaching the lost with Paul and Clement and others. They were actually involved in, in doing, they were living out their faith. And their names were written in the book of life. They were saved. And so, I don't know if you know this, but it's possible for people who are saved by the blood of Jesus and are actively working in ministry and reaching the lost to disagree. Did you know that? It's possible in the church for people to disagree. You guys might not get along with one another sometimes. Did you know that? I've seen it a time or two. My wife and I are living proof. Two people who love the Lord sometimes don't see eye to eye. Amen. Anyone married? <laughs> Happens from time to time. Why wouldn't it happen in our family? This family. But how do we go about it? How do we go about resolving it? Boy, Matthew 18 is important. Check out Marcus's message on peacemaking online. These things are important, essential. We don't want to do it the way the world does it. We don't snipe one another, talk behind our backs. You've got a problem with somebody, you go directly to them. You know that they have a problem with you. The scriptures say, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled with your brother. Then offer your gift. No, I want them to come to me. Jesus sought you out when he, you had a problem with him, didn't he? That's the heart of Christ in the matter. That's what we're seeking. That God would bring peace in our hearts. And is it going to get messy? Yeah, it's going to get messy. Is our flesh going to act up? Sure. Let's have grace with one another and let's commit in our hearts that when we have a conflict with one another, we're going to do it this way and not my way. That's what we got to unify in. Amen? And if you're unable to see clearly, obviously bring another person who has the mind of Christ to help you. Otherwise, brothers and sisters, Satan will use that division as an opportunity for sin in the church. And sin, a little leaven, ruins the whole lump. That's the way sin works. Can't let it fester. It can't because it will grow. It does never dies on its own. It never dies. Think about this in your marriage. Think about this in your relationships with one another. Seek the mind of Christ. Pray that I do as well. And so Paul, after addressing this sensitive subject, immediately follows with verse 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Kind of seems out of place. Hey, pray that these two get along. Rejoice in the Lord always. It seems like he's not really paying attention, you know. But he is. There's something behind this. I love what Charles Spurgeon has to say about it. I've got, I'm have got. i just going to read a couple different quotes from some different people here. It says, uh, I'm glad that we don't know what the quarrel was about. I'm usually thankful for ignorance on such subjects. But as a cure for disagreements, the apostle says, Rejoice in the Lord always. People who are very happy, especially those who are very happy in the Lord, are not apt either to give offense or to take offenses. 
Their minds are so sweetly occupied by with higher things that they are not easily distracted by the little troubles which naturally arise among such imperfect creatures as we are. Join the Lord is a cure for all discord. Boy, just to be focused on the joy of the Lord, being a thankful person, really not easily offended. I love that. David Guzik says, Rejoice in the Lord always again. Again, Paul's joy wasn't based in a sunny optimism or positive mental attitude as much as it was the confidence that God was in control. It was really a joy in the Lord. Just the confidence, the reason for our joy is that God's here. He's present. He's in control. Don't need to fear. Don't need to worry about the outcome. And lastly, one more from Spurgeon. What a gracious God we serve who makes delight to be a duty. Don't you think that what a gracious God. He commands us to be joyful. Think of all the things he could command us to do. I want you to be joyful. I want you to rejoice. That's a command. says, what a gracious God we serve, who makes delight to be a duty, and who commands us to rejoice. Should we not at once be obedient to such a command as this? It is intended that we should be happy. I think our, our framers of our Constitution, knowing the Lord, understood this. Pursuit of happiness. But so in the light of suffering and persecution that we've been talking about in the past few chapters, Paul's addressing the Philippians that they would have joy. And even when they saw people working things out in the church and there were difficulties, Paul reminds them to rejoice and to be gentle, and that word's translated patience as well, with one another. Why? Why rejoice? Why be gentle or patient with everyone? Because at the end of the ver at verse at the end of verse 5, it says, because the Lord's near. He's near. And I think Paul recognizes that his church, he was going through a lot. A lot of things going on in the church. A lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of persecution, some discord going on. There was suffering and these things that he just wished he could reach out and touch, but wasn't there. He was locked up in Rome. You know, and this can cause uncertainty and anxiety in the body when these things are going on. Amen? That happens. And so Paul reminds them to rejoice and to be gentle. And this is really key. That this gentle, let your gentleness be evident to all. That word gentle is interesting because the word in the context, it implies a person who has the heart to let the Lord fight the battle for them. Be patient, gentle, meekness, that, that, that word. I'm going to let the Lord fight my battle for me. I don't need to make it happen. To let that be evident to all. They were to rejoice and be gentle because the Lord is near. And that's our reason for joy. Gentleness and, and or patience in the midst of this life. That's a huge reason because the Lord is present. And it's also the reason for verse 6. Because the Lord is near. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Anybody struggle with anxiety? The doctor's offices are filled with people who are anxious. 
I have experienced tremendous anxiety in my life. Anybody else struggle with anxiety? It's brought about by fear. There's plenty in this world to be fearful of from human. There's a lot to be afraid of if you let yourself, right? But Paul commands the church, says, don't, don't be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. But he not only commands the church not to be anxious. He doesn't say just don't be anxious. He also does some cool other things. He tells them why they weren't to be anxious, and he tells them how to deal with anxiety. Any of you stuck in anxiety? Anybody need to know why you shouldn't be anxious? Anybody know, need to know how? What's the tool that God has given me to overcome anxiety? It's here. And what God wants to replace anxiety with? This is his, this is his, right here, doctor's note. Prescription, unlimited. Here we go. So the reason we are commanded not to be anxious is because the Lord is near. God's with us. And this is the basis for all our fear and anxiety to be dismissed. Because when God is not with us, we feel like there is no control. We are out of control. We become anxious. There's no control of our circumstances. Fear creeps in. And worst case scenarios start working their way into our mind. Amen? These things happen. The absence of faith. Believe me, I'm not sitting here saying, you just need to have more faith. That's not what I'm saying. It's, it's real, and I understand you guys suffer with it. God wants to meet you here. God wants you to know, first of all, that he's near. He wants you to know that he is near. He is present with you. He is not somewhere in some other planet, although he can be. He is here. He is with you in your circumstance. doesn't feel like it, does it? Children in the bedroom, afraid. Parent outside the door, aware of everything that's going on. Aware of everything that's going on, except for God's in the room and they can't see them. You know what I'm saying? God is here. God's not only given us the reason not to be anxious, He's given us the tool to address anxiety and to help us realize that He is near. There's a spiritual element to anxiety, friends. There's a spiritual element. And, and, and God wants us, gives us a tool here in verse 6. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, here's the tool, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. But I don't like that one. That's what you got. That's what God gave us. That's how he wants to deal with it. Prayer, petition, with thanksgiving. In every single circumstance, make it known to God. And so the antidote to anxiety in our lives is found in prayer. And he tells us what to pray about and how to do it. That's so cool. In verse 6, it says, regarding what to pray about, Paul says in verse 6, pray about every situation. Everything. Nothing off limits for prayer. Oh, God doesn't want to hear this. Job, person, people you know, you're not getting along with, fears about economy, fears about, he, he just wants to pray about everything. 
God is concerned about every aspect of your life. What is on your mind and your heart today? Things you might feel ashamed of, things you might be worried of. He is aware and he is not going to be shocked. Oh my gosh, I did not know this. No matter how insignificant it might seem, he cares. How are we supposed to pray? With prayer and petitions or supplications in Soviet translations. What is the difference? The word prayer is just talking about general, all communication with God. Prayers and uh, petitions or supplications is, is talking about specific requests. How many of you have specific requests? I want to hear this song by this artist and this version on this album. How many of you pray like that? Or God, help me. He hears those prayers too. Right? Sometimes you don't have time. But when you're talking with your husband and wife, you get detailed about requests, don't you? Uh, yes, you do. <laughs> right? How much more detailed can you be with God? Lord, I have this situation. And these are my fears. And this is what I would like to see played out to help alleviate these fears. And then, as you begin to discuss these things with the Lord, He begins to direct and mold your heart and move it. Because what you might be asking might not be what exactly what the Lord wants to have. And that's the purpose of prayer. It's not to inform God of your situation. Oh, you know, although he's listening, he already knows what you're going to pray. He already knows it's for us to know that he knows. So that we know that he is near. Do you see that? And by his spirit, he begins to quicken these things in our heart as we pray. And the Holy Spirit begins to one by one, pull those things away. And let me tell you in your prayer life, especially with those of you who deal with anxiety, lay out your worst case scenario before God. Hold nothing back. You might not be able to talk to people about this. Lay it out. God, I am scared of dying at 37. I am, you know, whatever it is, you just lay it out. Of all the scenarios, of everything that could happen, you lay it out before your God. How's that for prayer? Jesus, when he was weeping and crying for people in Gethsemane and then in John 17, he laid it out. He held nothing back. He was extremely vulnerable before God. And then God in his power comes and he ministers to his people and the Spirit comes. He lifts them up and he reminds them of truth. It's a spiritual thing. There's a dynamic there. He reminds you. He's here. He's with you. He loves you. He cares for you. It's going to be okay. He will take it. It looks like all hell is breaking loose and things are pulling apart. I'm with you, child. Very much needed for the church at Philippi who is facing physical persecution. What about for us? Very much needed. So he gave them a reason not to be anxious. He also gave them the antidote to pray. 
And then he says how to pray, too. He says, with thanksgiving. You know, thanksgiving is, we kind of think it's it's a, it's an emotion, and I, and I would say, yes, there's an emotional aspect to it, but it's an act of our will. We can choose to be thankful, or we can choose not to be thankful. It is a mindset. It's something to do with our heart. And so that is something God's saying, pray with thanksgiving. It doesn't mean you can't cry out to God, but be thankful. And that also shows gratitude, and it shows trust. Your faith will be increased. It's like worship. Worship is an act of the heart. It's something you do out of your will. It's a response. I, I'm not going to do it today because I don't feel like it. I'm not going to go share with this person because I don't feel like it. Or whatever it is. You know, I get into this, these funks. But it's a response. I, I choose to worship God. I, 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 I submit my will to what he says. I will sing to you whether I feel like it or not. And then the Spirit comes and ministers to my heart. I will step out on the water and then he will part it. I will obey and then he will answer. See these principles of the kingdom. I will be thankful. And then what happens as we do these things, as we are, are praying about anything and everything, as we lay them out in detail before the Lord, as we're praying with thanksgiving, what happens? Verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And isn't that what we long for? The peace of God replaces anxiety in our heart through prayer. Through prayer. God's peace doesn't have to match up with the facts. Faith does not match up with the facts. You know that you know that you know that you know. Peace. God's peace will transcend all understanding. It's all breaking apart, but why am I okay? Why do I have this anchor in my soul? Why is anxiety relieved? Because he is near. And God desires to be near. He didn't purchase you with his precious blood. He cast you off. He wants every single weight in your life brought before his throne. How he loves you. How he loves you. He deeply cares for you. With everything you're going through. Go to him. Sometimes the facts are bleak, aren't they? There'll be times when I'm praying for people and I know it's probably not God's will that they live. Had that several times in my life. Those aren't fun circumstances, you know what I mean? But the peace of God comes and reigns in our hearts. And you look at them and go, How can you, in such a deteriorated state, have the peace of God in your heart? It transcends all understanding. It's awesome, it's powerful, and it's what we need. Finally, he said, ending, 
Notice he said finally again. <laughs> Remember he said that? <laughs> this is the only part of scripture you don't have to, you know, fall, you know. He's not really telling the truth here. Finally. No, he is actually just joking. He said it in verse, you know, chapter 3, verse 1. Finally. No, wait, again. Finally. He's deafening the pastor. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever is true, whatever is not false, you know, whatever is noble, that means honorable, respectable, whatever is righteous, approved and accepted by God, whatever is pure, that means pure from carnality, it's chaste, it's modest, whatever is lovely, whatever is, that means acceptable and pleasing, whatever is admirable, that means of good repute, it's sounding well, good words, anything that is excellent, that means virtuous, a virtuous court, course of thought. Anything that's praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Garbage in, garbage out. Some of us are dealing with anxiety because we surround our minds and our hearts with anxious things that we don't need to. The world is 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 fearful and anxious enough. Put good food into your heart and your soul. I'm speaking to myself. Put good food into your into your mind. And let the Lord, let the fruit of that play out in your soul. Dwell on those things. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good pleasure and perfect will. 2 Corinthians 10.5, very little interesting verse, tucked in the middle of spiritual warfare, and it says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And lastly, verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and then the God of peace will be with you. Discipleship. We'll talk more about this next week. May God's peace just rule in your hearts this week. Allow the Spirit to minister to you as you pray, as you dwell on the things on that list that He, that he put there. Things, and you know, surprisingly, that list sounds like a whole lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Very interesting. So let's pray together. Father, we, we lift up today. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would just heal hearts in here. We lift up our anxious brothers and sisters. And we pray, God, that your spirit would do a great and mighty work today, beginning today in their lives. That a new chapter would come and that as they press into you, Father, through prayer, that you would bring the peace of God that they so long for, that we all long for. And so, Father, we, we commit today to you. We pray for our hearts and our minds to be guarded as we watch crazy Super Bowl ads and uh, that you would please uh, keep us pure and untainted from the world. In the name, name of Jesus, amen.